Okay, so we are going to get started with the second presentation. So this session we are going to be covering hardy annuals, and these are most important for, for those of us who live in warmer climates, the more southern part of the U.S., so I'm in Tennessee, and there's lots of flowers that I cannot grow if I just treated them as a summer annual. So this is particularly beneficial for those in the more southern regions, but, you know, everywhere can be benefited by these crops as well. So here's a quote from Lisa Ziegler, who is who's the one who's really propelled the hardy annual concept, what she calls as cool flowers. And this is a quote from her book. The term hardy annual indicates a plant that typically lives for one year and doesn't just survive the cold, but thrives under cooler temperatures. So these are flowers that actually thrive in cooler temperatures. And I found this quote in Ellen White's writings that I thought was kind of neat. It, it kind of spoke to what we're going to be talking about here with hardy annuals. Our flower gardens are now repaying us for the attention and labor we have bestowed upon them. The flowering shrubs that live through the winter are many of them pleasing the eye by putting out their buds and blossoms. So she had flowers that she also carried through the winter and produced in the spring. So what are hardy annuals? So I have a list for you. This is a whole bunch. We're not going to go through them all. But just to give you an idea of what, what flowers are hardy annuals, ones that actually love the cold. And these are ones that I never even knew. I didn't know like snapdragons actually love cold weather. You know, I would plant them in the spring and hardly get anything because it would get hot so quickly and they just don't, they don't do well with the heat. And so I thought, well, I just can't grow snapdragons very well here. But come to find out, they absolutely love the cold. And so if I plant them in the fall, I have a gorgeous crop of snapdragons. So this is just the list to, to just kind of get you thinking of the possibilities of things that you can actually grow through the winter that do well. And here are some reasons why I would suggest that you grow hardy annuals. It's a jump start to your season. My season in Tennessee, I start harvesting these flowers in mid-April. So that means that I have an abundance of flowers for Mother's Day, which is a key date to have flowers on. I mean, that's like the top, top holiday for, for flowers. And if you're just relying on annuals, that's really tough to get annuals in abundance in the early part of May. So with these, with these crops, you can actually have an abundance of flowers early April, mid-April, mid and some of them actually will go into summer. So like I already mentioned, warmer climates are able to grow flowers that otherwise would never bloom for them. And also, plants that have overwintered will produce better quality flowers in more quantity. So even if you're in a place where you could, say, grow snapdragons well in the summer, you're going to get a superior product if you plant them in the fall and let them let the root systems um, really take over in the winter, and then you have them putting their energy into the blooms in the spring. And last, they're lower maintenance. You have less weeds in the winter, you have less bug pressure, so you get your plants in there and then they just sit there all winter. You really don't have to do anything. 
you know, especially if you mulch, which we'll talk about. But you're not, you're not really doing anything to care for these plants. And then come spring, they just take off and they'll bloom before really any of the bugs come out, before you have all of the weeds. So it's a really, it's a really neat way to have these gorgeous blooms without all, I mean, it's more work in the fall, but then they just, they sit there, they do their, they do their work, and then you get to reap the benefits in the spring. So for hardy annuals, it's very important to know your zone. Does everybody know what their growing zone is? I have this map here, so you can kind of, this is, this is a rough, you can, you can get more particular and have like zone A and B and get down to the particulars more, but this is just a, a rough map of the country with your zones. So just take a look of where you are because with every crop that we're gonna talk about, we're gonna, I'm gonna tell you what zone that it's in. And when I say what zone, that is where it can grow with no protection whatsoever through the winter. And if you use protection like row covers or hoop house, you can grow things that are for um, you know, a higher zone. That If you're in zone five, you could grow something that's supposedly just for zone seven with some row covers or whatever. So we're going to cover more of that. So when to plant. For hardy annuals, there's three times that you can plant. The primary, primary one is in the fall, six to eight weeks before your last frost date. And that is the preferred time because if they have the winter to grow, the plants are going to be more vigorous and strong come spring. But if you are in a very cold area, um, in the low zones, you know, zone three, those really cold areas, you might not be able to plant them and they might not endure a really hard winter, you know, months on end of that cold. They might be able to do a shorter amount. So that's where you can do the early spring planting, which is six to eight weeks before your last frost. Because some of these plants, they can handle a shorter amount of cold. So if you're in a very cold climate, they would do okay for a couple months in the spring, but they might not do okay with a whole, a whole winter of that kind of cold. Now, if you're in a very temperate area, you can do the winter planting, which is just planting all, all through the winter, which would be pretty crazy. So seed starting. We are going to talk about soil blocks. I, this is how I do my seed starting for the hardy annuals, and I use actually the mini soil blocks. And that is only for the reason that I do thousands of starts and I don't have space to do a bigger block. It would take so much soil, so many trays, and I don't have space for that, and it's also a lot more expense in the soil. So I do the mini blocks, which they, they're a little bit trickier. You know, you're dealing with a smaller transplant, but when you're transplanting out in the fall after the heat of the summer, you can usually, if you do it carefully, you can usually get a good solid transplant out in the field. Um, they, they're a little bit more tender when they're so tiny, but it's amazing how resilient the plants are. So I start all of mine in the mini blocks. It's, even though these are cool, loving plants, they do need some warmth for germination, and it's helpful to have a consistent temperature. So if you use a germination mat, that's really helpful. And if you can have one that you set to 
that has a dial and you can actually set to the specific temperature. 75 degrees is, is ideal, especially for the germinating. Just those first, the first few days until they have actually germinated. Once they've germinated, they don't need the mat anymore, the heat mat. So, and then grow lights. You can use shop lights with cool white bulbs. It doesn't have to be a super expensive thing to have grow lights. But ideally, your plants would have 16 hours of daylight. Um, and come fall, you can't get that outside. And so using the lights is advantageous. You want to be careful not to overwater the, the plants. But I will say it's difficult to overwater. You more have to be careful um, not to, to have them so that they can almost dry out between watering, but you have to be so careful because you're dealing with very small blocks which can dry out super easy. So you just have to be conscious of that, but don't keep them overly wet. Um, and how I actually water the mini blocks, you know, you can use a mister, but that just takes forever. So what I actually do is I use a quart jar and I put a, just a seal and a ring on it. I punch, I punch three holes in the top and I actually just go around the tray on the edge and just pour in the water. And then it soaks up from the bottom and you don't have to be, I mean, don't like have the plants floating in there, but you don't have to be too concerned about overwatering. And that way your plants really do get um, thoroughly wet. Instead of just misting them, it'll look like you've got them wet, but then they, they will dry out. So by not overwatering, just be careful not to have them constantly wet and let um, them dry out a little bit before you water next time. And then another critical thing is to harden off sufficiently. So a week before you're planning to transplant out, you want to start taking your plants outside. You can first start just taking them out in the shade, get a couple hours of, of sunlight on them, and then just each day increase it until right before you have them planted out, your trays of little seedlings are out there for the whole day, and then they're ready to, they're ready to be planted. And you want to transplant them when the starts are three to five inches tall. Now this is for the mini blocks specifically. If you are not doing this on a commercial scale or if you have more space, there's no need to do them in the mini blocks. <laughs> the mic just went out. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't really feel like yelling, but um, so there's no need to do them in the mini blocks. So if you're doing a smaller amount, I would say, you know, go with your bigger block size, go with inch and a half, go with two inches, because you're, you're, you're going to have an easier time dealing with a bigger transplant. But if you're like me and you're tight on space, these little guys are super resilient, so don't be afraid to do them in the tiny little transplants. You do need to be careful when you plant them out that you choose a day that's going to be cool. Ideally, you would, you would even cover them with a row cover after you do them, you know, hoops and a row cover to just to gradually accustom them to that environment. And you want to make sure that it's not too hot out there because they're so tiny, they could easily get burned in the heat. So just pay attention to when you put them out. This last year, 
or yeah, this fall when I planted my hardy annuals out, I really struggled because I was trying to get them in earlier because we kind of had a premonition that it was going to be a rough start to winter, a little cold start to winter. And so I was trying to get them out earlier. And because they were so small and I was planting them into black plastic, which heats up even more, I was having challenge with, with them you know, getting too hot. So I actually was having to water, like actually wet down the black plastic like three times a day just to cool it off and keep the, keep the plants um, from, from dying from the, the heat. Whereas if it was a bigger transplant, they probably would have done okay. But that's just one of one of the challenges that I faced. So the top hardy annuals that we're going to talk about today, Sweet William, Snapdragons, Rubecchia, or Black-Eyed Susan, Foxglove, Larkspur, Yarrow, Buplarum, and Dacus, which is a false queen in place. So we have a lot to cover, and at the end, hopefully we'll have time for questions. So the first one we're going to talk about is Sweet William, and this is probably the easiest, most productive hardy annual. You can see that it's, it's hardy to zone 5. Now, like I mentioned before, that means that it needs no covering to zone 5. So that's, that's pretty cold. And if you are in a zone even colder than that, you can use a row cover and take them farther. So they're very easy germinator. I mean, the, the seeds are pelletized and you get like 100% germination. And you're going to want to harvest when a third, approximately a third of the flowers are open. They grow in kind of a spray. So there's several, there's several flowers to a stem. So harvest them when about a third of those are open, and that, that will give you the longest vase life. They have an incredible vase life. And you also want to cut the central stem. You know, the first stem you cut, you want to cut it deep, and that will encourage branching. This is kind of like the pinching that we talked about in the previous seminar, but that's, this is just doing it when you harvest. And um, favorite varieties? In the picture here, those are Amazon series, and those are probably, I, I've grown the sweet series as well, and I, I think that it might be a little bit less cold hardy, but it's still doing fine, but I would say the Amazon is the most hardy, and it's a super bright pink, and people love it at market. I'm not into pink, and so I was like, oh, this whole bed of pink flowers. But again, I sold like every stem, and people loved it. It was a great addition to bouquets, a really nice filler flower, but I also sold them as straight bunches for $8. And that was for about six to eight stems. And planting, you can actually plant these six inches apart. It'll give you a really, really thick bed, but so far, I haven't seen any problem with planting them closer, and you just get more flowers that way. The next one, snapdragons. This is actually what my snapdragons look like right now, except there's more snow. <laughs> this is a couple days before we left. They're covered in ice and snow, and I had covered them. We've had a really, really cold winter. And I had covered them for a cold snap before. We actually got down to zero degrees, which is pretty pretty cold for our area. And I had covered them, but I felt like it did more damage than good. If you're able to cover them with row covers and have the row covers not touching the plants, 
but if there's any snow or anything that makes the covers um, dip down and touch the plants, then it can actually do more damage because the freezing co covers are touching the plants and that can burn the plants. So I actually decided, you know, I'm just, it's hardy to zone four, which is, you know, that's really cold. I'm just going to leave them and I think that they're going to do better that way. So this is what they look like now. Absolutely crispy. You know, if you touch them, they're hard as anything. And it's just crazy to look at those and think, I'm going to get flowers out of these. You know, they're going to thaw out and be just fine. So, again, this is a very easy germinator. And that's what they look like in the spring. So that was this spring. You're going to want to harvest when two to three flowers on, of the, on the bottom, they open from bottom to top, <laughs> when two to three flowers are open. And again, make your first cut deep. Don't be afraid to, to cut a good 18 inches for your stem, and that'll encourage more branching. So for varieties, I have four listed here. You know, snapdragons are kind of like an old standard, and some people would, would not consider them like, you know, this fancy cut flower, but they've come out with some really amazing varieties. And some of them in that bunch that I'm holding, like some doubles and just some really delicate ones that are a real favorite with florists. So the four that I have listed, Chantilly is the earliest bloomer. And it is probably the most popular one right now. And these four that I have listed, if you plant all four of these, it's kind of like a natural succession planting. Chantilly blooms first, then you have Opus, then you have Madame Butterfly, and then you have Rocket. So my favorites are the Chantilly and Madame Butterfly because those are doubles, they're more, when you look at them, you don't think Snapdragon. They don't have that mouth that you can open, but they're very delicate and they're very beautiful and very popular right now. So those are my favorite, but if you throw in the other two, which are the Opus and the Rocket, they're, they're more traditional. But if you have all four of those, it gives you that nice succession from one planting. So that's a plus. And Chantilly, like for me, those will be blooming mid-April. And again, these ones you can plant at six inches apart because they're just a, they're more or less a solid stalk. You know, they do branch out, but they branch out in a way that you can plant them closer together. So if you plant six inches apart, you have a really full bed. And you can pinch in the fall for more branching. And this kind of depends on how your plant is in the fall. And that's, that's just from experience. You can kind of learn like where your plant should be at what months. But I planted mine, like I said, a little early because we, we anticipated having a hard fall, a colder fall. And it didn't end up being as cold. And so my snapdragons really got big and they were toppling over. So I actually went and cut them. I cut several inches off of the top just because I didn't want to have as big a plant going through winter. And it's, they branched out a lot just, just then. And you know, depending upon how they thaw out, I might cut them back again um, if they're, if they're too, too big. But that's just something that you can experiment with and you kind of learn over time, like how, how big your plant should be. But they're really, they're really fairly easy. And 
you know, if you don't pinch them or if they're too big or if they're too short, you're still going to get flowers. Um, they might not be as long of a stem or, you know, you're going to learn things that you want to do better in, but they're, they're a lot easier than you would think for doing them through the winter. So the next one is Rebecca or Black-Eyed Susan. And again, this one is cold-hardy to zone 5. You don't have to use any covers to zone 5. It's extremely, it's extremely hardy, um, very easy. This one you can grow as an annual. I, I can plant this in the spring and I get fall blooms. But if you want earlier blooms, you have to plant them because they have a longer day to maturity. And they're very hardy, so these ones you can plant in the fall and you get early summer blooms. So I think I, I had blooms in June, like end of May, June. Whereas if I planted them as an annual, I wouldn't have blooms until September, probably. You know, end of August, September. So this plant I can do as an annual and as a hardy annual and get more blooms from it, get a longer bloom period. So it does need light for germination, so don't cover the seeds. For harvesting, you want to harvest it right after the petals unfurl, but before they're super open. They're kind of like a, a sunflower, so you don't want them too blown open. And you want to make sure that you deadhead to keep the plant producing. That's the case for most plants, well, really all plants, all flowers, they benefit from deadheading, but there's some particularly that are very fast to seed, and this is one of them. So you want to make sure that you deadhead. And favorite varieties. Again, this one has so many different varieties. This one in the picture is actually Cherokee Sunset. It's not what you would think of as a typical black-eyed Susan, but it's very beautiful in bouquets, and it is probably just because it's unique and different, it's also very popular. But you have Indian Summer, Prairie Sun, those are more your typical black-eyed Susan, black center, yellow petals. The Prairie Sun has a golden center. And then Goldilocks is a double yellow. But those are all great ones to grow. And they are a favorite with Japanese beetles and cucumber beetles, so you just that's one area where they're not quite so hardy, so you just have to watch out for that. And whatever way you like to get rid of Japanese beetles, you can do so. And I use these primarily in bouquets as a focal flower. The next one is foxglove. And this is one that I never thought that I could grow in our area. And it's been so fun to take to market because everybody will be like, oh, foxglove, I never knew you could grow this here. So it's a, one of those secrets. If you plant it as a hardy annual, if you plant it in the fall, you can get gorgeous blooms. And it produces abundantly in early spring. And if you cut it back after it flowers, you'll get another crop in the fall. And, it, and you, can, you, can, you don't have to replant it, but I like to replant everything just so I'm not dealing with last year's diseases in this year's plants. But you can, you can keep them on for a second year. They grow well. Foxglove is considered a biannual, but if you grow it as a hardy annual, if you plant it in the fall, you can get first year blooms. So again, Light is needed for germination, so you don't want to cover these seeds. And similar to snapdragons, you want to harvest these when the bottom flowers are open. And as you can see in the picture, you know, it's a big long stalk with lots and lots of blooms. So 
you can harvest them at different stages. You can harvest them if you want like the whole, the, you know, the whole long stalk. But also what I did is if I had too many that I could use in one week, the next week, more of the blooms would be open, some of the bottom ones would be fallen off. I would just snip those off and I would have a shorter foxglove, not quite so long. So it has, it has enough petals that it's a little forgivable if you like have too many at once or um, you don't know what to do with them all. I sold a bunch to florists. That was one crop that I did sell to florists. And I sold them just when the bottom ones were opened. And that made it so that they could keep them for, I think she had them for several weeks in the cooler. And then they just slowly open up as you pull them out. So favorite varieties. The, in the picture, the one that's pictured is the Foxy mix. And I would definitely suggest this one. But also another really pretty one is Apricot Beauty. And it's just a really pretty peach one. I haven't found that one to be quite as, I don't know if it's not quite as cold hardy. It hasn't done quite as well, but it's a very popular color and I'm really anxious to see how it does come spring, how it um, matures. But like, the ones that are pictured are foxy and it's a really beautiful mix of yellows to darker pinks. And spacing, this one does need a little bit more spacing. It's a bulky plant with lots of Lots of branching. So 9 to 12 inches is what you're going to want to do. And it does like afternoon shade. If you have a spot that has afternoon shade, it's not a, it's not a requirement for growing the plants, but it does benefit from it. And my garden has afternoon shade, so I'm kind of stuck with it. And some things do really well, and some things it takes a little bit longer for them to get on because I like the full sun. But the foxglove have done super well in my area. Another point is all parts of this plant are poisonous, so don't, don't eat your flowers or plants, but um, that's not usually a problem. It keeps deer away. Nothing eats this plant. And then for market, it's, like I already said, it's a huge attention grabber. You have these gorgeous spires. I sell them separate, you know, by themselves, and I also put them in bouquets. Sometimes they're too big to really put in a bouquet. They just stick out too far. But if I'm dealing with smaller ones, or like I say, I can cut off some of the bottom blooms and have a shorter one, um, then I can put them in bouquets. But people love them separate, too. They, they tend to droop a little bit, which at first, you know, after their harvest, they don't stay perfectly straight. They kind of droop a little bit. And at first, I was feeling like that was a negative. And so I tried using some floral food. That didn't really help, and I just came to the conclusion that that's how foxgloves are, and people didn't seem to be bothered by the fact that they weren't perfectly straight. So I just sold them with a little, little bends in them, and people love them. So I did four to six in a bunch, depending upon the size, for $8. The next one is Larkspur, and this is hardy to zone six. Again, you know, no cover. It's sitting under snow and ice back home. And it's an easy keeper and produces a lot of sturdy plants. It's kind of, it puts out these flowers that look so delicate, but they're very sturdy. They're very, they're very hardy plants. A tip for seed starting. You're going to want to put the larkspur seed in the freezer for one week before starting the seeds. And that 
just puts them into that dormant stage and then they'll pop out. So, and another thing, I haven't really read about this from other people, but my experience is that it likes cool temperatures for germination. I always have it in with my other plants and I have terrible germination, you know, nothing comes up. But then as soon as those go out with my other plants to be planted, you know, not a single seed has come up. Two weeks later, they're outside, cold temperatures, and they all pop up. So it seems to really like a cooler temperature to germinate. And it doesn't seem to be bothered if it doesn't get that for a couple weeks. What do you call cooler um, probably in the 40s. I don't think, I mean, it probably could take it colder than that, but that's probably about where it's getting at night when it pops out. Um, so, but it, it might do it when it's warmer too, but not, it just doesn't do well on the heating mat. And again, like the other spike flowers we've talked about, it's ideal to harvest when the bottom third are open and cut stems deep to encourage branching. If you want to dry this flower, it dries super nice, you can wait until the flowers open up further. I thought I had made a note in there of that, but yeah. It, it's a really nice dried flower. It retains that color very nicely. So if you are doing it for dried, you can wait until the whole stalk has opened. And then like we talked about with Gonfrina in the previous class, you can just hang them upside down for a week or two in a dark place and they will dry very nicely. And these plants I also plant at a six inch spacing. They do well crammed together. They do just fine. They're more of a single single stock plant. And so you can fit you can fit a lot of plants into a small space. Favorite varieties, the one pictured, I think it's it's the sublime mix. And you can't see all the colors in the picture, but it has more bright colors. But you can choose more muted colors too, depending upon you know, who you're selling to. And then also the QIS series. Those are the two that I would suggest. And for starting out, you know, these varieties that I suggest, you can just get mixes, you know, mixes of all the colors, kind of see what you like, see what people like at market, what you're, you know, if you're trying to market to florists, what they want or the colors they like. So starting out with a mix is a great place to start, but then figuring out what colors sell more of, then you can kind of, you can just plant those colors and get more out of your space. So it's a great spike flower in the bouquets. And the next one is yarrow. This is cold hardy to zone seven. So another just super, super tough little guy. Did I say seven? Zone four? Yeah. And seed starting, it, yeah, light, it, light is needed in germination, so don't cover the seeds. And you want, to, this is more of like what I would call like a disc flower. It has, it's more of a flat top and um, bunched together tiny little flowers. So you're gonna want to harvest when two-thirds two or so of the flowers are open. If you harvest too early, you're gonna have some wilting. So you wanna wait a little bit. Favorite varieties, Colorado Sunset and Summer Berries. Those are mixes that have pastel colors but some darker ones as well. 
And I'm trying a new one this year. We're going to see how cold hardy it is. It's a white one um, that's a little different petal. And I use these primarily just as a filler flower in bouquets. They're also, depending upon the color that you have, they're quite popular with florists if you have some of the light pastel colors. And they can also be dried. I don't, I don't like them as much as a dried flower, but a lot of people do dry them. The next one is the plarum. This is kind of a, kind of a crazy plant. Um, it's hardy to zone five. Mainly use this one as a, fil a filler in my bouquets, and it just adds a really neat texture and interest to them, and some volume, so you don't have to use like as many flowers to make a full bouquet. And it's again extremely, extremely hardy. And this one, as well as the the larkspur, you're going to want to place in the freezer. This one two weeks prior to planting. It's not exact, but just so it it gets it in that dormant stage, and then you plant them and it pops out. And you can harvest anytime. In the picture, you can see the little tiny yellow flowers. They anytime those have just begun to open, the plants are the the stalks are a little stiffer and they won't wilt as easy. So you can you can pick them then. But they have there's probably a window of like three weeks from that point until they go to seed. And some people still use them when they have gone to seed. But there's a very big window of time where you can harvest this plant, which is really nice so you don't feel like you have to harvest the whole bed at once and move it. You can just harvest a certain section this week and, and kind of gauge yourself like how much you're using. So that's, that's a really handy thing with, with this one. And varieties, green gold is a really is a good standard variety. And you will want to use a netting to keep this one upright. We talked about in the annuals, you can just use a string along the side to keep your zinnias and cosmos upright. This one, just having a string or trellis on the side is not sufficient. You really need a netting to keep the stem straight. I did the side trellising this year, and I had a lot of crooked stems and wasn't able to use all of them because of that. I was still able to use a lot, but not as many as I would have used if I had if I had, had them netted properly. And as I already mentioned, it, it adds lots of interest to the bouquets. And it's really nice to have the green um, when you have all the, the beautiful colors of the flowers to have that the green texture to it. So false Queen Anne's lace. This is Dacus. There's several different varieties. There's um, like Ami and um, Green Mist. There's several different strains of a False Queen Anne's Lace, and all of them do well as a hardy annual. But this is a beautiful lacy flower, and I guess I didn't have a seed starting tip, but it wilts easily, so you want to harvest. I was harvesting it in the evening, and actually a florist suggested to me to harvest it in the morning when it still had dew on it, which is a no-no for harvesting other plants. You really don't want to harvest when there's dew on them, but for this plant, it actually is really beneficial to harvest at that time of day. So the dew on it, it gives it 
hydration, I guess, and the plants, it doesn't wilt near as easy. So that's, I think, the only plant that I harvest at that time of day. Favorite varieties, Dacus Dara and Purple Kisses. I think this picture is actually a mix of them. The Purple Kisses has the more burgundy hues, and again, is a very popular one, the colors of this one for, for florists, and it's a really nice addition to bouquets. This one does need extra space, so you'll want to plant it at a nine, nine inch or 12 inch spacing. I planted mine too close this last year and I had some issue with disease because it has a lot of foliage. So you just want to give it enough breathing space and it adds that beautiful airy look to bouquets. So that's, that's some of my top hardy annuals, but it's really hard, as with the annuals, it's really hard to just slim the list down. So here are some others that I would suggest if you're if you want to do some more, so put these on your list to do. Um, Canterbury bells, these are also called Campanula. I haven't grown the, I have them in the ground right now and I'm really excited about them. They are looking phenomenal. They're looking better than some of my other varieties. And they, if you haven't seen pictures of them, they have that bell shape. Um, it's more, it's more on a stalk, but they're, they're bigger than like foxglove. And they have some double varieties as well, so I'm trying some of those. But again, it's another easy one, very good germination, super hardy. Bells of Ireland is a really nice filler. It has that green and pretty little green bells. It's a little bit more tricky to get going, but one, one key is direct planting it. All the other ones you can plant in soil blocks, but Bells of Ireland seem to really get be stunted. I did them in soil blocks and I didn't get as long a stem length as I wanted and I was told that it was because I hadn't direct planted them. So, and those ones also benefit by having a time in the freezer before you plant them. Another one is Love in a Mist or Nigella. That's a really pretty frilly one. There's quite a few different varieties of it. You wanna make sure that you're getting one that's tall enough that you can use it as a cut flower. A lot of them are too short, but again, another really hardy one. And Love in a Mist, there are some varieties that they mainly grow for the seed pod, which is a really fun aspect to a bouquet. If you have those, you can add. Feverfew is it's kind of a daisy looking flower. It has a, a nice uh, frond. It's kind of, I, I kind of equate it to baby's breath. If people are looking for that sort of look, Feverfew is, is the way to go. And it has a really beautiful um, white, white flowers, double and single flowers. And I've had a little bit more trouble with that one. I think it needs just super well drainage and sometimes I can struggle with my drainage. Iceland poppies. This is actually what's pictured here. And they're, they're another great one. They, their tricky part is that they, when you cut them, you need to boil the, the ends of them because they leak a sap that actually will 
kill themselves, like the petals, if you don't, if you don't boil the ends, the petals will like all drop off within a day. So they just need a little bit more care, but they're also a really, really fun one to grow. You want to harvest them early, harvest them just as they're opening from the bud. Sweet peas are another really great hardy annual. Stock, this is, this is one that is a fairly new hardy annual. People are just discovering that you can grow these through the winter. They've been considered a really hard one to grow, but if you grow them as a hardy annual, they're a lot easier. So actually, they do best, even in, this is hardy to zone seven, but even in zone seven, they do best if you plant them this time of year. So they're like an early spring planting. So you plant them January, February, put them in the ground, they get a couple months of good cold, and then, then they take off. Lysianthus, that's another one that's been considered just an annual, but I haven't grown it, it yet, but from everything that I've read, it's a very, it, it can be grown through the winter. And it has, a, it has a very long germination time and can be tricky to germinate, but if you're feeling adventurous, you can try. And bachelor's buttons, these ones are, again, a very easy one to do. They, they're a little, I didn't plant them this year just because they, they take up more space for less flowers, but if you're just growing flowers for the beauty or you have a smaller garden, not, not as much for commercial, bachelor's buttons are really fun. You have that beautiful bright blue and they're a very early bloomer. So that one can add to the list. So some tips for hardy annuals. If you're wanting to grow something, if you're in a colder zone than the plant is hardy for, um, and it's, it's difficult because every winter is different too. So you just want to, want to be looking at, you know, if you're, if you're in zone seven and you're growing something for, that's hardy to zone seven and you have really cool temperatures, you might want to add a row cover. But if you're in zone five and you want to grow something that's hardy in zone seven, you can still do that if you add a layer or two of row covers. So, as I already mentioned, you want to keep the covers from touching the plants, so that's helpful to use some sort of hoop or something that you're keeping the row covers off the plants. And it, using row covers can also just stabilize your environment. I haven't used them as much this year, and I feel like my plants are suffering a little bit more just because there's in Tennessee, we just have such ups and downs with the temperatures. So it can be really nice just to have a more consistent, stable environment. But again, it's not critical for the success of your plants. All these plants that I have, I have shown you, you know, they're hardy to those zones, and to those zones you really don't need to use cover, but it can be, you can get earlier blooms that way, or just kind of stabilize the environment. Because you're dealing with the winter time where you have the freeze and thaw and all the mud and you don't have as many weeds but come spring weeding in the mud can be kind of difficult, it's really helpful to use mulch, whether that's leaves. If you're going to use leaves, try to use leaves that are either um, broken down, ground up in some way or that have sat for a year because some leaves can be a bit acidic to the soil. Or you can also use landscape fabric, and that's, that can be 
a nice way to keep your beds weed free and you don't have as much of the mud issue in the winter. And like I mentioned before, if your plants are getting too big, if you've had too warm of a year, and like your plants are starting to bud up in January and February, you can just pinch those back, just take off those blooms, and it'll just set them back a little bit, and then they'll be blooming at more of the appropriate time. So don't, don't, don't be afraid to pinch them back, to snip off some buds, um, and it'll only benefit the plants and give you hardier and more blooms in the right time. And if planting in the late winter, you're going to want to prepare your beds in the fall because you're not going to be able to get into your garden in, in the winter. So, like, I have some beds right now that are prepared. I'm going to plant some stock and some um, sweet peas, so they're ready to go now for that. Here are some resources. Like I mentioned in the first one, seeds. I get them from Geo Seeds and Johnny Seeds. Also, the Gardener's Workshop. That is the website for Lisa Ziegler, and she's the one that's, that has made prominent Cool Flowers. The book that I have there, that is her book, Cool Flowers. I would definitely suggest getting that. It goes through the hardy annuals that I have talked about, plus more, and gives tips for them. And it's, it's geared towards home gardeners, but it's very applicable towards, um, towards market gardeners. And we are going to have some of these books available at the Ad Agri booth tonight. There's only a few of them, so if you are wanting them, get over there early. Other resources, row covers. My brother runs Farmer's Friend, and he has lots of row covers. It's a very easy way to get them if you don't have a supply for them nearby. You can have them shipped. Horta Nova netting, you can get from Johnny's. That's the netting that you will want to use with Buplarum, Larkspur, any of the ones that could topple over. It's uh, it's an easy netting. You just put stakes in the corners and run it, run it over top, and the plants just go grow through. And I think, I think the mesh is, I think it's like a six inch. I think there's two different ones, but if you get like a six inch um, netting, it's great. Your plants just go through and it keeps them stable. Um, landscape fabric. This is Tiffany. How far off the ground do you set the netting? So it, it depends on the plant. You're going to want to put the netting down before your plants have really branched out. And I would say a couple feet off the ground, and then you can always move it up. You know, so you should be able to, for most crops, you should be able to do just one layer of netting. And as it grows, you can just, if you have it on like a post that you can scoot it up, you can just scoot the netting up. Because for most of these, you're dealing with flowers at the top. So, but you, you'll want the netting below well, it, it's easy. it depends on the plants, whether you're going to be cutting your stems below the netting or above the netting. But it's easier if you're cutting above. But you do have some that, if it was too low, your plants are going to still topple over, even with a netting that's down low. Landscape fabric. Again, farmer's friend. There are some other places you can get them. My brother has invented a way that you can... Um, have them pre-burned, the holes pre-burned. So that's super helpful if you know the spacing that you're wanting. That way you don't have to figure out a way to burn them. And the book that I mentioned, Cool Flowers by Lisa Ziegler, and the Gardener's Workshop. She sells all, on her website, thegardenersworkshop.com, she sells all the flower seeds that we've talked about. She specializes in cool flowers. She also sells all the seed starting equipment, so like your soil blocker, she has a, an organic soil mix 
So some of those things to get you going you can find there. And then you're supporting a, a fellow flower farmer. So I'll leave those resources up, but if there's any questions, we can take more now. We have a few minutes left. This is Gregory. Okay, so asking about wood chips for mulch. I haven't used them on the beds. We've used them more like in the aisleways on our farm. I know you do have to let them sit for longer just so that they break down more. So I think they can be used, but they have more of a curing stage. Yeah, so soil blocks, what are they? How you make them? It's, it's a jig that you press into soil that you can buy. We usually just buy a soil mix. So we have an organic mix. You add water, you get it to a moist consistency, and it's this jig that you press into the soil, compacts the soil in it, and then it, it's like a stamp. You, you, push, you push down on the handle and it pushes out your blocks. So they're individual blocks that you plant your seeds in. So if you're familiar with like a cell pack, it's kind of like the inverse of that. I mean, your, your blocks are sitting without any sides on them. But if, you, if the soil's the right consistency and, some, and you have to play with that a little bit, sometimes you can get it too dry or too wet. But if it's the right consistency, the blocks hold together really well, and then you can plant your seeds in it. And there have been studies that find that the transplants are hardier coming from soil blocks because you don't have as much root-bound issues because they don't have sides. So it's, it's an easy way to, to have the benefit of. Okay, yeah, trays with drainage. That's a, that's a good point because normally on the farm, we would use trays with holes in them because we just have them in the greenhouse and you're watering over them and the water is draining through. But when you're using a light stand or you're germinating your stuff indoors, which is what I do for all my hardy annuals, you're going to want trays without holes. And Johnny's sells trays without holes. Also, Lisa Ziegler, thegardenersworkshop.com, she also sells trays without holes. So yeah, just, just think about how you're going to be watering and if you need holes or not. So if you're planting hardy annuals, for, for spring and you've gotten a late start, you haven't done them in the fall, you can do them now. Yeah, now's the time to do them. So you can start your seeds now. Um, most all of these, are they're hardy enough that you can plant them out even in the cold, like we've talked about. Um, you might want to have a row cover over them, especially at the beginning because they're just getting started, their, their root system's just growing. So have a row cover over them to offer that little bit of protection. But yeah, you can start the seeds now and then you'll be transplanting out mid-February. What zone are you, do you know? Seven. Seven, yeah. Yeah, you should be good then. Have we had issues with deer? Um, we have had some, and it's one of those things that I just don't want to take a chance with, so I do have a fence around the garden. I have a, a tall, um, I'm, I'm not, I think you can get it from Johnny's, a tall deer fence. And another thing that's nice if you're covering with, with row cover, then that's kind of a protection against deer anyways, so you don't have to have a fence. Okay, so the, in the slide that I had the blocks, those are actually the mini blocks, those are like half inch. So that's, that's what I use, but that's just because I'm short on space, I'm dealing with larger quantities and I'm germinating them inside, and also just the trays and the soil that would be needed to do that many on, in a bigger block. But I would encourage you, if you're doing 
you know, less if you're just doing a home garden, definitely do them in a bigger block because you're gonna you're gonna have less trouble with the transplants. They're more resilient, they're more hardy. Yeah. Yeah, so she's saying for for deer on her farm, she uses a rope around the garden and hangs soap on it to deter them. That's interesting. I've heard lots of different things and maybe I don't think I've ever tried the soap. Yeah, for her orcs. Well, that's pretty impressive to keep them away from tulips because deer love tulips. Yeah, so I haven't done much with spring planting because I do it in the fall. You get in zone seven, you can, it's, there's hardly anything that is beneficial to do it in the spring, but you can do all of these ones in the, in the spring. But what I mean by the spring is six to eight weeks before your last frost date. So if you're in zone seven, it's probably similar to us. It's middle of April for your last frost date. So you're going to be planting your seeds pretty soon here. You know, order them, get them planted. And then depending upon the block size you go with, you know, if you go with the really mini ones, you're talking about, you know, three to four weeks at max before you're putting them into the field. If you do the bigger ones, maybe a little bit longer. But, yeah, you can plant them out now. Yeah. So... Plant your, get your, get your plants started. But if you are planting them now, I would encourage you to put row cover over them just to help them getting started. I mean, not to be partial or biased, but my brother's website is probably the easiest place to see the different, the different weights. And it's more probably just what you can afford. You know, there's no reason to, there's no, there's no reason not to get a thicker one per se. Um, but it's more expensive. So I usually, I usually have the thinner ones and I, cannot re I don't remember the weight, but you can double cover them too. If, if you're getting a really cold snap and you have little baby plants out there, even though they might be able to withstand the cold, it does help to have that added protection. So you can double cover them. So whatever, you know, whether you get a six ounce or a one ounce, whatever, um, I think, is it Agrabond brands? Agrabond, and there, you know, there's multiple places you can get it. You can get it from Johnny's, um, but yeah, so single or double cover, depending upon, especially when you're planting out this time of year. You're saying when I start the seeds? She's asking about like using a dome or something when starting for germination. I, we actually have a germination chamber, which has a plastic over it. Sometimes I use that, but sometimes I feel like it gets too hot. So I don't feel like it's necessary if you're keeping your soil blocks moist to necessarily have a germination chamber, but it's, it doesn't hurt anything. So if you have a dome or a germination chamber, it is usually beneficial for starting seeds, any type of seed, to have that, but it's not necessary. Yeah, you just have to watch the temperatures, keeping it too, from getting too hot in there. We have a little um, thermometer in our germination chamber, and that is like in the basement, it's not the basement, but the lower part of the barn where it stays cool, it stays you know 50 degrees about year round. So it is a cooler, darker environment. Um, but yeah, you just wanna just be watching the temperature. Um, if, and with, with the hardy annuals, probably even more so, um, I haven't felt the need to, like I don't usually even cover it even in the germination chamber. I usually leave it open because I want like air circulating and stuff and I don't think that it's, it's necessarily necessary, I don't know, I don't. Yeah, so planting them in the fall is easier. You still have, you know, you still have the germinating and the starting of the seedlings, but if you are planting your, your transplants out 
in the fall, before frost, it, it, is, it is easier. But you can do it now, too. There's still hope. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, so as far as the heat mats, I don't think there's necessarily a, a kind or brand. Ours, I think, came from Johnny's Seeds. Um, yeah, so the soil block heat mat lights, you can get from Johnny's Seeds, but you can also get from the Gardener's Workshop. And she's the one that put together everything about the cool flowers. So she's selling supplies that she uses for especially hardy annuals and cool flowers. So if you go to thegardenersworkshop.com, you can see the seed starting supplies that she has, and those would be the best out there. So a greenhouse for starting seeds. You really don't need a very big space. Um, like I just have the one light stand, and I have several trays on it, and that's that's what I use. And then when it gets time to hardy off, I just put them on a table. But as far as starting seeds in a greenhouse, um, yeah, you don't need much space. Even the I guess I don't have the caterpillar tunnels listed here, but the caterpillar tunnel that I use, I also got from my brother. And that is also, I've seen plenty of people use those for germinating as well. So, and it's probably, well, it, it, yeah, it's probably the least expensive structure you can get as far as like plastic, hoop, it's just very basic, very simple, but you don't need anything too complicated or fancy. So. Okay, well, we will take a break now and come to our next presentation in 15, 15 minutes. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.